0: Since 2022, businesses and institutions generating at least two tons of wasted food each week have been required to donate excess edible food to the extent practicable and recycle remaining food scraps when organic recycling facilities are located within a certain distance of their operation. For an update on this program, as well as an effort to collect donated venison, we're joined once again in the Capitol Press Room by Sally Roland, Chief of the Organics Reduction and Recycling Section at the State Department of Environmental Conservation. Welcome back to the show, Sally. Thanks so much. And also with us is Jeremy Hurst, a wildlife biologist with the State Department of Environmental Conservation who's going to talk about the venison donation program. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Sally, at the end of October, the state provided an update on food donation efforts stemming from New York's Food Donation and Recycling Law, Where are we at this point in the implementation of this law? I imagine you're going to say we've collected millions of pounds, but how many millions?
1: Yeah, we're very excited. We just surpassed the 5 million pound mark. That's 5 million new pounds of food donations under the Food Donation and Food Scraps Recycling Law, mainly due to our partnerships with Feeding New York State. We provide them funding. And they are out there kind of looking for new donations from large generators the grocery stores and what have you. It's been uh, phenomenally successful so far.
0: And can you quantify what 5 million pounds of food means? I mean, how many people are we potentially talking about or how many meals does that represent?
1: That's millions of meals. Yes, it could represent millions of individual meals or for a number of people for months at a time. So yes, it's a great boost to the program. The nice thing about it too, is it's all different. We're certainly gearing up for more fresh fruits and vegetables through this program. So if this is more and more of that kind of good edible food, if you will, that's available that wasn't in the past.
0: It also seems like the amount of food collected has really ramped up since the first year of implementation. Is that fair to say?
1: Yes, it took us probably six months to hit one million, but then less than eight months to hit the next five million. So, I think feeding New York Stadium was surprised of how quickly once they kind of went door to door, store to store, of how much interest there was, how much material out there available for donation.
0: Yeah. What do you attribute the uptick to? Is it just about awareness of the responsibility and the opportunity to donate? Does it have to do with collection efforts? What do you blame it on, I guess?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. One is the large generators are now aware of the law and that they have to donate. But beyond that, I think there's a lot to be said where Feeding New York State actually goes store to store and meets with those store managers. So even if they were donating before, so they're donating bread or something like that, they may not realize there's so many more materials in that store that are still good food to be. So even a store that was donating is now donating so much more. But you do raise a good point. The next step is we have to get that donated food from the store to the food bank. So we have a program now with Feeding New York State to buy new trucks and equipment and staffing to make that happen.
0: Well, we've been talking about food donations from businesses and organizations, but I want to turn to your bailiwick, Jeremy, and that's uh, the food donations from hunters in New York, specifically meat from deer that they've collected. What opportunities are there to donate venison? And is this a new initiative for the state?
2: Well, there are actually lots of opportunities, and it's not a new initiative. There has been a venison donation option for probably going on close to 30 years in New York State. And it started with an organization called Venison Donation Coalition. Feeding New York State now has also been involved for quite some time. And so these are efforts that uh, provide an outlet for hunters to donate the deer that they harvest through a local processor and so that would be someone who as a business is processing that deer carcass into edible venison and cuts of edible venison that then get transferred to a food pantry and available for for local public to use
0: and it's my understanding that this is not just a niche donation I, i believe i read that nearly 40 tons of venison are donated each year is that correct
2: that is correct. We're not precise on that number, but it is many tons. So roughly 80,000 pounds a year gets donated by hunters to, to New York public and, and families in need. Uh, there are some smaller organizations as well that do some things locally. And of course, hunters are very apt to share their harvest with friends and neighbors as well. So on the whole, there is quite a lot of venison that gets donated to families in New York State. To put it in context, 40 tons or 80,000 pounds, is a, a fairly small fraction compared to the 5 million pounds that you were just hearing about. Overall, in New York, hunters harvest about 10 million pounds of venison a year. And so there's room for growth there, and we're encouraging hunters to continue to, to donate. We have need in many parts of the state to harvest more deer, and vo- venison donation programs are a great outlet for those those extra deer to be donated.
0: Now, if someone it does want to donate deer meat. Are there limits to, say, how many deer that they can potentially hunt in New York State? And if so, are these donated deer exempt from that? And if I'm showing my ignorance as a
2: non-hunter, you know, please scold me off air. No, that's fine. It's a great question, actually. Um, so hunting is highly regulated. And we set objectives for what we want to achieve for harvest based on the need to allow deer populations to grow or to decline in different parts of the state and so the number of deer that an individual hunter may harvest varies based on their location that they're hunting but also the tags and the privileges that they have and when they can hunt and so in general most hunters are able to harvest more than one deer by and large most hunters don't harvest more than one deer and so we give opportunity for hunters to take deer in some cases multiple and um And so the venison Nation provides provides an outlet for for those extra deer. Most hunters say that they want to harvest about one deer. Um, I think on average, if you break it down across the state, it's maybe 1.2. But giving hunters opportunity to take more deer is beneficial both ecologically and socially. uh, So we can use this resource, the protein resource that deer provide uh, most effectively.
0: So you mentioned the idea of hunters sharing venison with friends and family, and I've been lucky enough to be on the receiving end of some tenderloin uh, every once in a while. Um, But is there demand for venison among food banks? Are hungry people also adventurous eaters?
2: So the interaction that we've had with both the Feeding New York State and the Venison Donation Coalition, as well as the Department of Health and the food pantries themselves, the feedback that we're getting is that venison is highly sought after. It's only available during a short time of year. So uh, folks who visit food pantries regularly aren't going to see it on the shelves throughout the entire year. Um, But it is a a prime source of lean, locally grown, sustainable protein. And so I think there's some appeal to that for folks who are, are utilizing the food pantries. So
0: Sally, I want to turn to the other side of the food donation equation, which is the recycling of food and trying to do it in a way with less of a carbon footprint. If I'm getting my numbers correct, about 28% of businesses, institutions covered by this law were required to recycle their food scraps in 2022 as the result of where certain organic recycling operations were located. You know, They had to be close enough to them. I think it was a 25-mile threshold. When we talked last year, your department was estimating that percentage would kick up to about 37%. Are you anticipating that more than, say, 37% of these covered institutions will be required to recycle in in 2024 as the result of more organic recyclers coming online, or has that growth tapered off at all?
1: Uh, Yeah, we are up into the mid-30s. We anticipate some more in 2024. It does take time to establish facilities, whether you're building a compost facility and what have you. So... It's definitely something that's going to take some lead time. One thing we're very really encouraged to see, actually both on the donation and the recycling side, is that once a chain, like a grocery chain, is has set up a recycling program, they will do it for all their stores, mm-hmm. including those that may not be covered under the locks. So They're not quite large enough. So we're seeing that kind of effect where we're getting more and more recycling because of the law, even though people aren't subject to it. And that's certainly something we desired from the beginning and something we anticipate seeing more of.
0: The 25-mile threshold that I referenced was put in place to make sure that the law wasn't too onerous, so that businesses weren't having to go too far in a potential burdensome way to recycle their food. With a couple of years of implementation now, does it seem to you like 25 miles represents the appropriate threshold, or could a higher or even lower threshold make sense and still not be a big burden on businesses and organizations?
1: Frankly, I don't think we need a threshold. We already have provisions in the law for waivers based on cost. And what we see in practice is, because we deal with these larger generators, they tend to hire a company that will pick up and take it to a central location for recycling, which could be 100 miles away, depending on that company's, that recycler's activity. So it's not really a mileage issue. It becomes more of a, where do they have facilities available available? what companies own it. And again, since we have those waiver provisions for costs, we don't really see the need at this point.
0: So if you wanted to do away with the threshold, though, you'd need the legislature and governor to sign off on something, right? That's not something that is under your regulatory authority?
1: Exactly. Yes, that would take a change to the law.
0: And is it your understanding that the DEC is planning on pushing something like that in 2024? Or should I keep my eyes uh, peeled for the governor's state of the state book when that comes out in January, potentially?
1: Yes, I think that's a, a wait and see. certainly in the draft state solid waste management plan and also the scoping plan under the Climate Act. Both of those include recommendations that both with the elimination of the 25 miles and ratcheting down that size. So we encompass more food waste generators, not just the biggest of the big. So we ratchet down that two tons per week to one or a half ton per week.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with the state's compost queen, Sally Rowland. Thank you, Sally. Thank you, Dave. And we've also been hearing from Jeremy Hurst, a wildlife biologist with State Department of Environmental Conservation. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, David. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show.